0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Usine, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall.
1: Welcome. It's Leadership in Action i'm your host jeff klein i'm here with my good friend ann greenhall how are you Anne?
0: i'm good jeff how are you tonight i'm you know i'm doing it's really
1: it's nice to be back
0: yes it's been a little bit
1: right because here we are it's leadership in action sirius xm business radio powered by the wharton school channel 132, 132. <laughs> yeah see <laughs> so everything stayed the same uh i think this is my first time back in the studio in like two months
0: You've been very busy. You've uh, been working with the Advanced generous. Management
1: Program. No, it's true. You have been. But you've see, been the very is, busy. Now, Mike isn't here tonight, Mike, you seem. Yes. But, uh, you know, if I'm being totally gracious here, he was also working with the Advanced Management Program, and I feel you and he hosted a number of shows together.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, my, See, we don't my, usually
1: do it this way. But, I've actually, it, I've turned the slacker.
0: This is true. I'm the, the microscope slacker. to myself. <laughs> yes. All right. Well.
1: Um, I think we have a really interesting show tonight. We have an interesting guest, uh, and I'm going to introduce Benito Cachanero in uh, a little bit, just a little uh, I'm going to introduce him more in just a little bit. Um, the conversation that we want to have tonight is one about human capital, right? And it's it's really about, you know, and, and really in, in line with I think what we were just talking about here. Um, but thinking about human capital is um, can be a, an overlooked aspect of an executive's life and career. Um and I think we would all agree is probably one of the most important aspects. Strategies and tactics and operating plans, they rely on the humans that execute them to a great, great deal. And um and so we're really grateful tonight and really excited tonight to have Benito Cachanero on the show. Um so let me say welcome, first of all. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. Wonderful, Benito. Um it it was it's kind of rumored, you know, sometimes people say, "Wow, you have a great radio voice." But as Peter Capelli, the host of The Last Show, was walking out,
2: he whispered to me, "Benito's voice is much better than yours." So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I think what he meant is that the only qualification for me to be on the show is that I have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> And as long as the audience understands that I have very little to offer besides that, then we'll be fine. Oh. So, Anne, you've been
1: identified
2: as really the substance of tonight's show. Oh.
1: <laughs> We're just two pretty voices.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> and we are truly in dire streets.
1: <laughs> so, Benito, if I can, let me um, say a couple words of background about you for, for our listeners. Um You've had, you know, really just a a fascinating career. Um, Right now, you're a senior advisor within Egon Zedner's uh, leadership solutions and human resource practice groups. Um, Prior to that, you served as chief human resource officer at DuPont, um, chief human resource officer at ADP, automatic data processing. Um, And you've, I mean, part of that work has been leading some really complex CEO succession Um, efforts, right, at both of those organizations. Um, You are a valued advisor to clients on senior executive succession, but also talent assessment, pipelining, and the management of, you know, the big organizational change initiatives, large-scale organizational change. Um, You have a – we love – Varied academic backgrounds. And so you've got a fantastically varied academic background doing work in political science and sociology and demography. You have an MBA. You have another master's in sociology from none other than our University of Pennsylvania. Um, And I hope we have time to get into this because. You also serve on the boards of some of, I mean, certainly Philadelphia's cultural institutions, places like the Free Library of Philadelphia and WHYY, as well as the Board of Library of America. So if yeah. uh, I'm sure we'll squirrel away a little time to dig yeah. into that passion as well. Who is this guy? I know. <laughs> Who is this guy? That I want access. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Anne, why well, don't you get oh. us started? Because I've been talking forever.
0: Okay. Well... All right, Benito. Well, this is just a playful question. Uh, when you were young, what did you imagine you might be when you grew up?
2: That's an interesting one. I, when I was conscious enough to have an idea yeah. about what I mm-hmm. wanted to be when I grew up, uh, and let's say I was a fifteen-year-old, mm-hmm. right? Not not a not a six-year-old trying to be a, a firefighter, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I would have told you that I wanted to do something that had to do with making the world a better place. Uh-huh. I grew up in in Spain, where I'm from. And at the time, Spain was a somewhat provincial, uh, out-of-the-way country, partly because we were in the latter years mm-hmm. of the Franco dictatorship. So we, many of us who had different interests mm-hmm. and, and were looking at the world— outside our own borders. We were interested in, in going beyond those borders, right? So very early on, um, it, it was also part of my family. My, my father was an engineer of the old European school, meaning tons of schooling, and then the first job general manager, just because you know how to do calculus, right? Uh, but, but more importantly, he was an executive with a Canadian organization. And my father uh, spoke German, And English, um, and we spent our summer holidays traveling in Europe as opposed to going to the beach in Spain, which the Mm -hmm. other Europeans would do, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm. I think in our family environment and in my own head, I wanted to get out not because it was a bad place, mm-hmm. but because mm-hmm. I wanted to see the world and I wanted to do something helpful. So I would have told you, this is a long way of I know, saying, I would have told you, oh, I'd love to work for the UN or I'd love to work for an organization that is doing good in the world, right? Uh, it turned out that my global journey mm-hmm. um, was enabled by a business career in in the end, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that I have done business-wise have had always a global footprint to them and a global perspective to them. Uh, but my interest in, quote-unquote, the world started early, mm-hmm. partly because of my father, um, who is a very important person in my life, yeah, yeah, and partly because of who I was and the situation we were in, right? Mm-hmm.
0: So as a, a young person, you studied in Madrid, but you did your advanced degree in the States. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, what prompted you to come to the States?
2: Well, it's funny that you ask that, because uh, when, when I was in university, if you had asked me where would you want to go to continue uh, with a graduate education, I would have told you the U.K., you know, it's England, it's nearby, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the people I was reading were uh, people from the U.K., but you quickly realize, at least in those years, that the U.S. is a more generous country. And I was able to secure a Fulbright Fellowship oh, and come to the U.S., um, which would have been a different affair mm-hmm. in the U.K. at the time, right? So the this notion of a generous U.S., which I hope doesn't disappear, okay. uh, enabled me to come here. And 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 to be fair, also, I had a professor who was one of my mentors who said to me, no, no, Benito, you really should go to the U.S. Um, and here's why. He had... Being at um, at uh, University of California, so the funding helped. Yeah, that's the great. The encouragement of my professor helped. Um, so it was it was a terrific choice.
0: Oh, that's great. Maybe just one more, and then your um, maybe your first employment, your first your first job that you think of as being uh, substantial.
2: Substantial, yeah. Because while I was in grad school, I had a lot of odd jobs, as you yeah. can imagine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the first real job, um, I I was here uh, getting a demography degree, which I did. Then the school asked me to stay for a PhD in demography, which I thought of doing and I I started doing, but then I realized the world was becoming too small, too narrow for me, right? Mm -hmm. And that perhaps I was going to be a a very mediocre academic. and instead of being a mediocre academic being a mediocre executive didn't sound as bad right <laughs> uh, so i also had the fulbright funding so i had a commitment to go back to europe mm-hmm. and i had to make the transition from grad school uh into business and my first real job i was working for data general in in spain at the time Data General, you know, the younger listeners might not remember the name, mm-hmm. but Data General, one of the leading companies in the in the computer sector in the in the eighties, in the seventies and eighties. And this is when mini computers yeah. uh, were a challenge to mainframe yeah, computers, right. right? So digital equipment data General Wang, all of them headquartered in uh, the Boston area uh, <laughs> and uh, and and at the time i it was a great transition for me they They were looking for somebody who who could help them but also had a multinational outlook at the time where the Spanish economy was growing a lot mm-hmm. and they needed to hire a lot of talented people so that that's where I started.
0: So good. Jeff, I'll hand back to you. (laughs) All right.
2: Fantastic. And
1: I'll remind our listeners that this is Leadership in Action. We're on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Jeff Klein, and I'm here in the studio with Anne Greenhall. And our guest tonight is here in studio with us, and that's Benito Cachanera, who is the senior advisor for Egon Zendner's Leadership Solutions and Human Resources Practice Groups. If at any point during our conversation you have a question about something we're discussing, or you're still angry about my earlier digs at Boston, <laughs> you can give us a call at one 844 Um So Benito, how did you start to get interested in the human side of organizations? When, I mean, obviously with a sociology and a demography background, um, you've been interested in, in people.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, how does
1: that start to take shape within your corporate career?
2: Yeah, I, I as I said before, my father was a, a business executive, yeah. and uh, growing up with him, uh, I, I'm the older of three. Okay, growing up with him and and being very attached to him, I used to listen to his stories, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and we used to talk about what life as a as a business leader mm-hmm. was like, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think it was the right juncture for me as I was transitioning out of uh, the academic world. Mm-hmm. And I had a foundation in organizational theory. I mm-hmm. had a foundation in sociology. I had a foundation in economics, and and also fairly numerate mm-hmm. uh, because of my work in in demography mm-hmm. and in statistical analysis and all of that. So with all of that, the natural transition to the business world mm-hmm. uh, was in the in an HR organization. Okay. And at the time, as, as I said before, Data General was a very dynamic. Growth-oriented organization right. that that needed help and 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 the, the help at a at growing organization starts with things as basic as find me the talent mm-hmm. right um, we need to have the talent to wing in the marketplace right mm-hmm. so that that was the the transition
1: right yeah. I mean it's it's interesting um, I, I had kind of the flip of that transition so it started in the corporate world and have transitioned since into academia um, and my first career was with AT&T for about a decade uh, in corporate finance and strategy and M&A and so deep into the numbers and mm-hmm. I, I would be incredibly proud of my deal books and my business case analyses and everything else and when the light went on for me, I can remember about six years into my career sitting with the time the CEO of AT&T Broadband, uh, it was a guy named Bill Schleier at the time. And um, I had come in with an analysis for him to look through about an investment that AT&T Broadband was going to make. And Bill was a really smart guy, educated in Boston. <laughs> uh, and and he sat down and he looked through the analysis and, you know, he got it within 45 minutes, right? It's just math, right? He understood the assumptions. He understood some of the variability. And then I'll never forget, I was struck because he invited me to stay as he led a discussion about, all right, if we, if we do this, who leads it? What are their strengths? What kind of people are they going to need around them? What's their reputation in the organization? How are they going to enlist support where they don't have authority? And I walked out of that meeting and I was like, I spent like a week on this analysis. That got 45 minutes, two and a half hours on the people side of this. You know, and and it was sort of the first window for me to say, "Wow, there's." You want to talk about complexity? There's so much happening on the people side. The math might just be math,
2: right? <laughs> yeah, it's funny that that you say that. It's it's uh, it's a dated reference now, mm-hmm. um, but if you if you go back to the old Peter Drucker, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Peter Drucker would say, sixty years ago, mm-hmm. the most important decisions a business executive has to make are people and organizational decisions. Mm -hmm. And he also said, and unfortunately, many of them don't dedicate the effort or Mm -hmm. the time to make them right. And then 20 years later, uh, this McKinsey consultants Mm -hmm. wrote a bestseller at the time called In Search of Excellence. Mm -hmm. And they had a refrain through the book. I don't know if you remember, but the refrain through the book was... um, hard is soft and soft is hard. Mm-hmm. And what they meant is what you just explained. Yeah. The the complex uh, cash flow analysis for our capital investment in Shanghai mm-hmm. is really looking hard, but it's really soft because it's full of assumptions. Yeah. It has a lot of numbers, but there's a lot of hypothesis built into right. that. Whereas the stuff that seems soft... Mm-hmm. Like who is going to lead this project, right. and do they have the track record to make it happen? And what makes you believe that this is executable? And mm-hmm. that seemingly soft subject is actually very hard, mm-hmm. and it's a it's hard for we can talk about this later for a variety of reasons. But um, sometimes people forget that yeah. that that is what makes things happen, yeah. and not appreciate when,
1: when you look back over you know, these different phases. Um, do you, do you think it's a pendulum? Is it a generational rediscovery? I mean, well, I, I hope
2: it is not a, pe- I don't think it is a pendulum. I think there's a difficulty with the, with the topic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, to be very contemporary now, as opposed to dating yeah. myself with Peter mm-hmm. Drucker and in search mm-hmm. of gasoline. Now the uh, large institutional uh, investment organizations mm-hmm. in this country, uh, State Street, Vanguard, Mm -hmm. BlackRock, they're putting out position papers saying we're long-term investors Mm -hmm. because we're running gigantic index funds. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we want to look for the long-term sustainability of your businesses. And the only thing we know is that Talent and culture, human capital issues, yeah. ought to be at the forefront of your agenda. And we as investors, it's not the only thing we're going to be looking at. Obviously, they're looking at many other things, but we're we're going to be looking at that as a as a core mm-hmm. uh, element that tells us whether you're going to be successful in the future mm-hmm. or not. Right. So this is not a new theme, but why do they feel compelled to say that? Mm-hmm. And I think the reason they say that, or they feel compelled to say that is because I think we have something similar to what happens in many other things in life, not just in business, where the things that we intellectually understand are important don't necessarily get our attention. Yeah, mm-hmm. this I call it playfully, uh, Jeff, I call this the broccoli dilemma. <laughs> the broccoli dilemma mm-hmm. is, and I love broccoli, uh, mm-hmm. although I remember a president of the U.S. that didn't like broccoli and, <laughs> and got into trouble for that. But the broccoli dilemma is the one you have when you... you You know, broccoli is wonderful and Mm -hmm. it's good for you. But if they put a plate of French fries in front of you, what are you going to do? (laughs) Choose the French fries or the broccoli? 99% of people would rather have the French fries once they're in front of them, right? So the average business executive, and perhaps average is, is too strong a statement, when confronted with do I talk about the outlook for next week mm-hmm. and I concentrate on asking everybody where are we on the latest spreadsheet mm-hmm. or do I tackle a hard, difficult subject right. like the ones you were describing from your AT&T experience and uh, they start looking like broccoli and they go to the french fries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think there's a little of a cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, employees in every organization know this. Uh, executives talk about how... People are the most important asset that we have, and culture is the most important thing we do, but it's very easy to know whether you're just saying those words Mm -hmm. or whether you're Mm -hmm. acting Mm -hmm. congruent with those words, right? So I I, I hope it is not a pendulum so much as a reminder that there's a discipline Mm -hmm. and a a craft Mm -hmm. that... Needs to be exercised, practiced. Yeah, and everybody wants to exercise and lose weight, and most people don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's n- not that different from that, if that makes sense.
1: It it, it does, and I'm you know I'm kind of really struck in this conversation because as, as I think back, you know, in in sort of every era, there there's always the 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 businesses, the firms that we hold up as putting people first and investing in people. And they always seem like they're a little counter-normative, right? Most, most organizations are going to focus on profits and, yeah, they'll talk about customers or they'll talk about, you know, superior technology. And then you've got the Southwest or the Zappos or, you know, whoever the next generation is that says we put our people at the center of all of this. Um, and, and I wonder if there's a tipping point within that conversation that we ever approach. And, you know, now we've had a number of people on the show to talk about artificial intelligence and the new nature of work and what's left for humans within that. And and some paint a very sad picture, and others say, well, we're actually all more important than we've ever been at this point.
2: Listen, uh, the the concept of, uh, talking to two academics here, the concept <laughs> of the service-profit chain yeah. is not new. Yeah, The concept, that, right. and it's being... Uh, proven with numbers right right? so the notion of if i invest in my people first um i'm going to get better returns Mm -hmm. than if i don't but not everybody practices that right right? i think i think you have a colleague here at wharton who talks about the knowing doing gap yes Mm -hmm. and so everybody knows uh, Mm -hmm. what's important not everybody practices what's Mm -hmm. important so i think that's the rub here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that,
1: that does, that fits nicely into the broccoli dilemma. as well, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, well, let's see. I think we're, we're going to move to a break in a couple minutes, but not just yet. And so when, um, so I, I want to fast forward us a little bit in the conversation and within your own career. So as you took up senior executive positions at places like DuPont and ADP, um did you come with a philosophy around people? Is it you know, I am sure so, I'm sure it adapted over time as you learn from the experience. Um but how did you start to take up those roles and what did you find was really yeah, important?
2: I I think you you named the more senior roles that I have played yeah. towards the latter part of my career, but you you learn as you go along. Mm-hmm. Of course. And you learn as you as you try and fail, as we know. And um And so you you get to a point where you have a—I hate to call it the philosophy—where you have a point of view Mm -hmm. and a perspective on things, but it has to be rooted in in the dynamics of the business, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not enough to say, oh, people are very important. You need to dig deep in what's the strategy of the business, what's the value chain of my business, and given that— what are the people implications Mm -hmm. and what are the actions that I have to take? You know, Mm -hmm. every business strategy that is worth its name is about changing something. Nobody says my business strategy is to be doing five years from now what I'm doing today. Right. (laughs) So, and it's like the Olympics is taller, stronger, faster. So if your strategy is three to five years from now, I want to be in a new business. I want to improve a business that is not doing well. I want to expand in a part of the world that I'm not operating on. It's typically, a step change, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's very important to say, well, number one, is it doable? Mm-hmm. And and if it is doable, what what are the conditions? What is the organization? What is the leadership talent? Right. What is the overall talent mm-hmm. that we're going to need to make it happen, right? So to me, the, the issue of talking about people is not that it's nicer or sounds good. It's that it's the only levers that you have to make things happen. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: All right. I I think that's (laughs) a a perfect place to break. And when we Mm -hmm. come back, I think Mm -hmm. we'd love to get further into what are some of these important questions, important decisions um, that that business executives can really be focused on and and how do we craft human capital strategies that ultimately support the kinds of changes that business strategies are advocating for Mm -hmm. and, and moving towards. So we'll take a short break. And you'll stay with us? Absolutely. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> um, we're here in the studio with Benito Cachinero. I'm Jeff Klein. That's Ann Greenhall. And you're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.
0: You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Mike Yusim, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall.
1: Okay, welcome back. It's Leadership in Action on Sirius XM's business radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Jeff Klein. I am the executive director of the Ann and John McNulty Leadership Program. And I'm here with my good buddy, Dr. G, really? Green Hall. <laughs> Sage to all Wharton freshmen.
0: (laughs) Thank you. How's that? that? (laughs) That's good. All
1: right. Our guest this evening here in the studio with us, which could be why Ann and I are slightly more wound up than normal, is (laughs) Benito Cachanero, who is a senior advisor uh, in leadership solutions and human resource practice groups, uh, former chief human resource officer at both DuPont and ADP. and just comes from a, a fantastic academic background that I've already gushed about in earlier introductions, so I won't do again right now. Yeah, and, and I'm not sage like, like, <laughs> oh. uh, like Anne is. The only,
2: the only sage I can deal with is a condiment in <laughs> <That's laughs> cooking. You know, but, uh, once well, you're back the third or
1: fourth time, you start to get things like sage bestowed upon you. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, thank, you thank you. Right,
0: in addition to slacker.
1: Right. <laughs> well, love, love comes in all forms. Right, exactly. Love Comes in all forms.
0: <laughs> all right, uh, Benito. Uh, before before the break, uh, you were talking about how numbers and budgets uh, look hard, but actually they can be soft. There's some assumptions in them, and what looks soft, dealing with people, can be very hard. And so you spoke too about the importance of discipline. In this craft, so when you think about human capital management, where do you
2: like to start I, I like to start as we were saying at at the end of the prior segment with where's the organization going what is okay. the what is the business strategy um, what is the stated intent and um, and and to draw the consequences from that right um, now, you could take it to the ultimate ratio here I, I used to uh, work at Johnson & Johnson where my boss used to say, Benito, you're very strong on once we work a business strategy, we'll have a human capital strategy to go along with that. But what if the people around the table are not the right people? Mm-hmm. I'm going to end up with the wrong strategy to begin with. <laughs> so if you want to take it to the ultimate and uh, the the companies that are truly leadership oriented and people oriented would have been doing for years a version of what Jim Collins calls, uh, who do I want in the bus mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and right. who
2: do I want off the bus yeah. uh, as almost mm. prior to anything else. Right. Um, but, but, mm-hmm. but, but trying to answer your question, and mm-hmm. I, I think you, you go to the strategy and you go to what's different about what we want to be as a business or as an organization in the future. And therefore uh, what are the core things that we need to take into consideration to make that happen, right? Uh, and I think when I call it a discipline before, mm-hmm. is that there is a way, I know that our friend Mike Usim likes the concept of a checklist, uh, yes. the yes. managerial checklist, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the pilot checklist and mm-hmm. the surgeon checklist. I think there's a checklist that you can do on human capital strategy. Sometimes when you talk to business leaders, even board members, and they hear, the institutional investors say, well, human capital and culture are very important. They look, wow, this topic is big and, and a little vague and abstruse. Mm-hmm. Where, where mm-hmm. do I begin? Mm-hmm. Right. But there, there is a checklist of sorts that, that you can use to apply to yourself and say, That's great. how am I doing in each of these mm-hmm. areas? And the checklist is not the same for every company, meaning, all the items are there, but they're not all equally important <laughs> okay. for every business in every situation, right? Uh, so, so.
0: What might the first item be on a checklist
2: and well, maybe the, an the, example? The, the first, and, and this comes from the world of business strategy. I think the notion of what are the core capabilities of an organization and not just people capabilities, but core capabilities that, that make you believe that what you claim you want to do is doable, right? Uh, and when I say capabilities, just for all of us to to be on the same page, I think of, I don't know, Amazon mm-hmm. has a core capability on supply chain and mm-hmm. logistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have an Develop this to an art, mm-hmm. and that allows them to consider getting into businesses they didn't start with because they have this core capability, mm-hmm. right? Or, or, or Prachter Gamble has a core capability on uh, brand marketing. And, and turning seemingly humdrum things into very intriguing product because they have, it's built in into the organization, into the organization DNA, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting sometimes with everything that is happening, that mm-hmm. uh, where sometimes you hear a company saying, oh, we have to digitize the organization. so okay, I understand where the world is going, but mm-hmm. what, what is it that you're really trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. Are you trying to simplify a, a business process? Are you trying? What are you trying to do, and what is the core capability that that is going to give you? Mm-hmm. And I think you need to have the answers to those questions, right?
0: Uh, oh, that's great. Can you give an example, maybe uh, just by way of the negative of a of a company that just didn't get the core capability right? <laughs>
2: um, I, I think. Um, uh, rather name a company, I'll, I'll give you an area that sure. is that is an area where there's always a lot of tension. Um, the, the, the large and medium-sized uh, uh, Western European and American companies have been for years saying, I want to grow in Latin America, I want to grow in China, I want to grow in India, I want to grow in the rest of the world, right? The the, the Western markets are mature markets, the growth is going to come from those places. Um, but without having an understanding of how business is done in those places without having an infrastructure, and the answer is no. Well, I'm just going to hire yeah. a bunch of people, and and they're going to make it happen, right? I was talking to um, a major uh, a, an executive at a major bank that is very present in Latin America, um, and they do a lot of business with American banks, mm-hmm. and of course, American banks like to be present in Latin America. But in the end, it's not just a matter of language. They don't do business the same way that Itaú does mm. business in Latin mm-hmm. America or or some Spanish banks that are very present in Latin America, right? And and I think when you've been doing something for a while and you have a core muscle of doing it, then things come more natural, right? Saying, oh, we should grow in China without knowing what capabilities you're going to deploy in China. Right, right. Uh, it's it, it's not helpful. I mean, it... it it is a stated desire, mm-hmm. but it's not clear that it's an executable desire right,
0: right. very um, good, so core capabilities would be the place that you would you would
2: start I would say strategy what, what, first strategy and then, first and then core capabilities mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and then the the next thing in my checklist is what about the organization and by organization, mm-hmm. I don't mean the orchard I mean how are the resources? Deployed in the organization mm-hmm. because, after all, an organization is a way to disaggregate work and and deploy it around the world. Right? It's highly typical because we're, no organization is perfectly optimized. Mm-hmm. That you have disconnects. Mm-hmm. That you say, "Oh, we need to, we need to grow in emerging markets," but I have too many people employed in Western Europe. Uh, how do I deal with that? Or we need to be more innovative and invest uh, more in R and D, but I have too many people in. In managerial roles, or I have too many people in you know what i'm saying, yeah, so mm-hmm. this disconnects mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. where you're present and how mm-hmm. your talent is deployed and how your uh, labor resources and your people are uh, set up in in the world versus what you're trying to do is a typical one right mm-hmm. and by the way the, mm-hmm. so, the some of these things are hard you know yeah. people's resources are not fungible no. and nor they should be. Mm-hmm. And and it takes a while to shift an organization, and it takes a while to build an organization. Uh, so sometimes it's not that things are not possible, but uh, within the time frame or future yeah. strategy, right, is, is the the time frame that matters, right? When I was getting my MBA, one of our classic cases was uh, Neiman Marcus, mm-hmm. and the case study was Neiman Marcus when it was a single store in Texas. And the case study was that they were going to grow to be a national brand in the U.S. And I still remember doing the spreadsheets and doing the analysis mm-hmm. and all of that. And, and at the end, the professor came and said the, the roadblock for Neiman Marcus to be a national brand, being a high-quality, concierge-oriented luxury brand, it's not a spreadsheet. They had all the capital they wanted. It's the people. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to replicate that model elsewhere. So eventually Nima Marcos did become a national brand with stores Mm -hmm. outside Texas. But instead of a three to four year plan, Mm -hmm. it was a 20 year plan
0: Mm.
2: because they couldn't they couldn't just replicate no. the model right. overnight, right. right? So that is a problem for Nima Marcos. It may not be a problem for a different organization, right? So I, I, I think the disconnect between where you claim you want to be and where the resources are, mm-hmm. not, not geographically, functionally, uh, that, that, that is typically, a, should be part of your checklist.
0: Mm, very good. Jeff, you want to get a word in?
2: I, I, I'd love to. <laughs> I also enjoy listening. Um,
1: you know, as I'm sitting here listening to the, this part of the conversation, um, it does seem like, okay, we we want to assess the capabilities of our people. Um, and then I, I really appreciate the second assessment, which is ha- have I aligned those people so that we have resources behind the key strategic initiatives? Um how do you find that that second question seems like a harder one to assess right and i can remember we we actually have a we have a new old cfo here at the wharton school Mm -hmm. uh, a guy named scott douglas who was our cfo he's did a bunch of other wonderful things he's come back as the cfo and and before all of this he was the secretary of finance for the state of delaware Mm -hmm. and one of the ways he described his role i I just always appreciate it, and that is he said, as a CFO, it's my job to make sure that we've put the right resources, right resources behind the key strategic initiatives of the school. Um, he, can, he can run numbers and look at where are our assets and what are they worth and where, what organizations are they assigned to, et cetera, et cetera. How would you suggest someone do that kind of assessment
2: for people? Well, I think th- this is why it's important to have a strong partnership between a CFO and, yeah. and a head of HR. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you 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 need to know your organization well. Yeah. You need to know uh, not only where where your headcount is, mm-hmm. but what is it made of. Right? You need to know where you have. Uh, the expertise and the mm-hmm. resources. And some of that, by the way, can be – some of that is numerical as well. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't get me wrong. But you need somebody who – both perspectives right. to the problem, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, the, the budgetary one, if you will, mm-hmm. but also the capability one uh, and the distribution of expertise mm-hmm. that allows you to to get a real assessment of are you – being honest with mm-hmm. yourself and that you're doing the things that you said you were going to do, right? Yeah. Now, if you want to segue into something different, Jeff, and, and I think part of my checklist is as well, do I have the right leadership resources deployed where they need to be? Right. And that's even more complex, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, not by definition, I used to say when I was a head of HR, every role is important, uh, Because if it weren't, it shouldn't exist, Mm -hmm. right? But assuming that every role needs to exist, not every role in in an organization is equally important in the horizon of the strategy. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if your strategy uh, for the next three to five years is to grow by a lot of um, innovation, Um, understanding Whether you have the right leadership talent in the areas where most of your growth is going to come from is important, right? Or if your strategy hinges on geographic expansion, having the right leadership in roles that are going to bring you geographic – you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? So being clear, looking at the chessboard of Mm -hmm. your organization, being clear that even though all the squares may look the same, not all of them are equally important in the horizon of this strategy – And making sure that the right people are deployed in the right square, not only for the job that has to be done today, but for their own career growth, for the people that we're trying to generate for the future. That's a huge Mm. kettle of fish (laughs) that requires a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of conversation. (laughs) Well, let's spend a little bit of that time (laughs) now,
1: um, but let's spend it after I remind our listeners (laughs) that I'm Jeff Klein. That's Ann Greenhall, and this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, SiriusXM XM, Channel 132. Our guest tonight in studio is Benito Cachanero, and we are um, having a conversation about uh, a recent article that he published, um, which you can access on the IESE Insight Business Knowledge uh, website and newsletter. Um, we will also make sure that that article uh, link is sent out in our uh, tweets after the show, so please go ahead and, and access that. But we're we're talking about the third of these four pillars for developing a human capital strategy, and so this question of do I have the right leadership talent? Um, how much of that is about for you? And I know the answer is both, right? So you, you can't you can't come back just with both. But how much of it is about identifying talent? How much of it is about developing talent for? Not just today's job, but tomorrow's job as well.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's more than both. <laughs> Meaning that it's more than both. You, you Particularly, if, you, if you're a small business owner mm-hmm. and you have 100 people working with you, mm-hmm. you, you know your people and you don't need to create very sophisticated instruments mm-hmm. to know the people that are working with you. When you run an organization that has a few thousand employees, it doesn't have to be the size of IBM, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then the thing starts getting more complicated Mm -hmm. because people can get lost in an organization and so the prospecting Mm -hmm. side of this uh the early identification its not just identification but the early identification and early is important because you can have impact earlier Mm -hmm. in people's lives than than later Mm -hmm. right um so that, that 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 ought to be part of a A routine almost, right? A managerial routine, not just for the HR organization, but for the executives, right? Mm -hmm. So early identification. And then the development, um, as you know, it's not about coming to wonderful things like the advanced management program, Mm -hmm. which which I value. Mm -hmm. But it's about putting people to do things that they've never done before Mm -hmm. with the caveat that they may or may not fail Mm -hmm. uh, and that you want to put them in – you know the old rule of thumb: you want to put them in situations where you think they're going to succeed, but it's mm-hmm. not obvious right. that they are. Because if it is obvious, then it is not developmental, right? Right? There, there needs to be some butterflies in your stomach saying, "How am I going to do this?" Right? Um, and it, so it's almost like a it's like an R and D effort almost, mm-hmm. meaning you're you're betting on people. That you truly don 't know whether they 're going to play out the way you think they 're going to play out until quite a number of years down the road and, and liking an r and d effort you have milestones and you have indications of whether it seems to be going in the right direction, but you never really know whether somebody's going to have their full mm-hmm. potential or you 're going to benefit from that and not another organization because they mm-hmm. left you right. uh, so so it it requires an ongoing discipline Mm -hmm. of doing both and i'd be really i mean just that last point that
1: you made you know we we don't know what the future holds we don't know where an employee will be 10 15 years from now in your experience both consulting to organizations as well as leading this practice how linked are development strategies and
2: and retention
1: efforts usually
2: I, i think they're incredibly linked because in spite of what we say sometimes People don't have personal horizons for their own careers uh-huh. that are twenty years long. Uh, at no matter what point in your life is you yourself as mm-hmm. a human being, you're looking at three to five years out. You may have dreams of something for the long term, mm-hmm. but it, your, your job is to be keeping people engaged, energized, and develop, so that every three to four years they feel their. Mm. They're reapping, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And uh, using a financial expression, if you're a talent, you're always thinking informally is the net present value of my future career returns better by staying where I am mm-hmm. or by going elsewhere? And if you're generating a better net present value of future career returns by working that. Mm-hmm. you're more likely to retain people than if you don't.
1: Yeah. And if you could just tell us how to figure out those net career returns
2: <laughs> in, a, in an accurate forecasting way, that maybe that's another Well, show. it's a very subjective equation, yeah, right? right. That's, because, of course, we are humans. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in addition to this, there's also family and mm-hmm. location and many other things yeah. happening at the same time, right? But the value I put on something is perhaps very different than the value you might put on something. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's now, we're,
1: we're We're back to dem- demographics and we're back to economics and utility functions and everything else. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Back to Anne.
0: All right. Benito, let's do a little recap here. Uh, we were talking about the importance of strategy and then thinking about the capabilities uh, that uh, help make that strategy possible and, mm-hmm. and come to life. And you you were talking about the capabilities of the organization. You know what are we really good at? Mm-hmm. And then, moreover, thinking about the resources that we need to deploy um, to make those capabilities once again come to life. Finding leadership talent, and then finally, <laughs> what's the last? Uh, what's step number four in the Well, equation? step number
2: four, which is not to be disregarded as a throwaway, is. Uh, do I have the people that work in this organization with me Yeah, or they're not with me? Right. Very important. And by the way, going back to the old Peter Drucker, he used to say, we spent too much time talking about leadership and not enough time talking about followership.
0: Yeah. No, now you're talking. Don't get them started. Benito. Yeah. <laughs> right.
2: and, 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 and so I, I think it's in this day of transparency. And I don't mean transparency, social media. I mean, everything is very public. Uh, I used to be in, in this global roles and I would be on a trip to Indonesia or Denmark and the employees were asking me questions that had to do with what the Wall Street, uh, analysts call had been uh, the week before. You know, people are aware of everything mm-hmm. that is going on. So in this day and age, having not the employees in lockstep with you as if they were robots, but broadly supportive Mm -hmm. of where you're going, broadly proud of where they work, uh, knowing that they can be heard and leave their own thumbprint in the organization, and that they're not just there to be squeezed like lemons, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that that the equation of business growth generates career growth, and career growth generates business growth, and that that Equation is balanced. Mm-hmm. It's hugely important, yeah, and we have some uh, very public cases in the news uh, headlines these days mm-hmm. of organizations that seem to have forgotten that. Mm-hmm. Even very cool places, uh, yeah, even cool places, who claim they're very cool, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden their employees are marching down the streets uh, because perhaps they were not as cool as they thought they were, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, so I, I think that's a very important subject these days. It's great, (laughs) very good.
1: And as and notes, but we'll we'll Mm -hmm. have to do it on the next show because we're we're wrapping up here. I mean, I, um, you know, the to me the most fascinating questions are the ones about what is it that, uh, what is the choice that a follower makes when they decide to make someone more powerful than they are today? Mm -hmm. And there's so much power embedded in our followers that often we. And they perhaps don't recognize. Right? There's a there's an Alice Walker quote um, that I've always loved, which is simply um, paraphrased: "The most prevalent way for people to forget they have any power is just to give it up." Mm-hmm. Right. And,
0: and, and, and didn't we hear on one of our previous shows that followership is an act of forgiveness? Oh, right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> We had, we had Marcus, Marcus Buckingham on and one of his new, he, he was like, the more I thought about this followership question, the more I realized that followers are in a constant act of forgiving their leaders for their faults.
2: Right. So, Benito, <laughs> welcome I to have, my world. <laughs> I have a lot of, uh, a lot of forgiveness to ask for. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. We all do. We all, and it's, we all do. It's kind we of one do. of the
1: magical things about that notion. Um, we want to say thanks for <laughs> yes, joining us on the you program so much. tonight. It's and my in pleasure. In studio.
0: In studio. In studio.
1: Um, for our listeners, how can they find out more about your work?
2: Well, I, um, as a senior advisor with Egan Sender, as you said, there, yep. there's a, a web page with my profile, but okay. some some of the things that I've written and and there'll be a link to the show yep. uh, so that people uh, can listen if they haven't had a chance to or if they want to catch something again. Uh, so that that's probably my public web page. Okay. It's probably the better way. All right. Great. Thank you again. And for, to our listeners, yeah. thanks for joining us. If
1: you have a question about something you heard on today's show, you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Be sure to follow our show on Twitter at bizradio132. Once again, a special thank you to our guest, Benito Cachanero, And I'd also like to thank our producer, Patty Hall, our, I mean, beyond stand-in, Dana and Dion, Orange <laughs> Headphones. See you later. <laughs>